Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Well, uh, Lori and I have not been married 50 years yet. It's 31 years. And uh, if there's anything that I've learned about marriage is the longer you're married, the more imperfections you're exposed to. Uh, are the more changes to your body that happen. And you have to figure out in the midst of all the constant, uh, hopefully you get better, but hopefully in, in some respects, as you look at uh, our, our lives and Lori is exposed to more and more of my flaws, that she will continue to love me even deeper. There's a kind of like two tracks that people can take. They can see the flaws and the brokenness and they can turn away from it in disillusionment and, and, and frustration and discontentedness. And they, they, they kind of start drifting away or they can fill their hearts with grace and see God's provision and see God's hand in that person's life and fall deeper, deeper, deeper in love. And that's what I hope we do, even as we think about the church. It's beautifully imperfect. And just like a marriage is beautifully imperfect. And we have to learn either to be frustrated and walk away from it, or we have to lean in with grace and see that God is at work in that situation and we get to choose those paths. And so I want, to, I want you to welcome you to, to Grace Point, the beautifully imperfect church. We've been talking about this for several weeks and I think it's important, especially if you're here for our first time with us and, and I met some of y'all today and so glad to have uh, guests that are with us and exploring because this is a time, this is a series that we're looking underneath the hood of Grace Point Church. We're looking inside and we're saying, hey, here's who we are. Is this a family that you can be connected to? Because to be honest with you, there's a lot of dating the church nowadays. There's a lot of hanging out at the church, dating the church, consuming the church, but not really being committed to the church. They kind of date the church and they date around the church. They'll go here and there and everywhere. They'll try this and that and they'll be all over the place versus some people are cohabitating with the church. And they're like, no, I'm here, but I'm just not signing on the dotted line. Oh, I'm here, but I'm just not committed. And no, I'm consuming, but I'm not just not contributing. It's like, that's not at all what God designed the church to be. He designed it to be a marriage. He calls us the bride of Christ. He calls us a body. And my arm doesn't just go off and do its own thing or just wander from one body to the next. No, we're knit together. We're a body. And no, none of us is perfect. In fact, we're going to see the longer we're with each other, our flaws. We're going to see things that will disappoint us. But man, make no bones about it. We're not trying to cover anything up. We're all moving to righteousness. And I'm praying that God would continue to work in us. And let me just say this. We don't normally do this in the summer, but we're going to do this this next week. And uh, we're going to be offering a first step experience. One day, a couple hours together, hanging out, getting a deep dive intensive into who Grace Point Church is. And if you are at the end of that feel like God is leading you to Grace Point Church to be a part of our family, to become a, con- a contributor, not just a consumer, a, a member, and not just uh, an attender, then we want to invite you to be a part and listen and learn and pray and meet other people who are exploring the same thing as you. We have found this to be incredibly helpful to fast track people into understanding who we are as a church. So if you're interested, you can go online and, and sign up for that. Because here's the thing about the church. 
There's a lot of imperfections. And every time it seems like I open up my blogs or, or, or my, my news streams or, or I, I am out there and I get, I download something. It's like, it's constant brokenness in the church that's ever before us. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. The abuse, the cover-ups, the scandals, the betrayals, the church hurt that is happening out there. And I really felt like this is a series that we need to level set as a church. And we need to understand our church, though we're not perfect, we are striving towards godliness. And you know what? Even in Jesus' day, even in the first century, the church, if you will, if you call it that, it wasn't the church then, it was the synagogue. Synagogues had been around since the BC, late BCs. And Jesus never stopped going to the synagogue, to the church. He continued to go even though it was not perfect. It was far from perfect. The Sanhedrin, they were the ones who managed the temple, but it was the Pharisees, the keepers of the law, the rabbis in the synagogues, they were the ones who were the keepers of the synagogues. So you can imagine that even though the the synagogue was run by rabbis who were Pharisees, that Jesus didn't stop going to the synagogue. It says this in Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And he went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. Two chapters later, he didn't walk away from the synagogue. He goes back to the synagogue. And again, he entered the synagogue. Even though the synagogue was not perfect, far from it, run by imperfect rabbis, the Pharisees, he still valued the teaching and the reading of the word. He still valued corporate worship. He still valued tithes and offerings. He still valued the connecting with other believers and even non-believers. He valued that and he didn't give up on the church even though it was far, far from perfect. As we are trying to make things, do things right and more biblical and more accurate along with scriptures, one of the things that I could talk about our imperfections is that we have been a two-legged stool. And if you've been with us, pardon me, this is the last time I'm going to bring the stool out. We've been talking about this for several weeks. A two-legged stool is not a fully stable stool, okay? Too much weight on two legs is not how it was designed. Three legs, you get balance, Four legs, you can even have a wobbly foot. You'll not seldom, if ever, have a three-legged stool that is not balanced. And we have been a two-legged stool. And sometimes, I'll, I'll dare say, even a one-legged stool where we were putting all the weight onto one particular role in the church. We want to be a church that is fully balanced in that. First of all, we talk about this three-legged stool. We have, we have the elders that are servant leaders in the church. That's the first leg. We talked about that a, a few weeks ago. Then we talked about the deacons who are the uh, leading servants in the church. The deacons are the ones who roll up their sleeves and get in there and make a difference in people's life. They're like boots on the ground. They're in people's lives. And the elders are the ones who are governing the church. But what we need to talk about today is the other leg of the stool, the pastors. That is the shepherding leaders inside the church. Every one of them are interconnected. This is not three different segments, three different branches, or anything like that. Don't think about the federal government and all of its dysfunctions. Think about them as three interconnected legs that help bring balance, stability, accuracy to the body. Each one of them interconnected, each one of them needing each other to, to function well together. 
Now keep that in mind and take your Bibles and find the book of Titus. We'll be in Titus. It's one of Paul's three letters that he writes to individuals. Most of Paul's letters, Corinth, Rome, so forth, Thessalonica, are written to church bodies. But he writes three letters to three different people. One is Philemon. It's written to an individual leader inside the church, not necessarily an elder. We don't know that. We don't know him as a pastor. But we just know him as a leader inside the church. That message for another day. But the other two, to Timothy and Titus, they're individual pastors and leaders inside the church. And he writes the letter to them as pastors and leaders of the church. And Titus is one. We know a little bit more. uh, We actually know less about Titus than we do about Timothy. But we kind of understand where he was for, for how long he was there. Timothy was in Ephesus and we don't know exactly how long he was pastoring or leading But but many people believe that Titus was written, the book Titus, the letter to Titus, was written in 62 AD. And Eusebius, one of the early church historians, believes that Titus died in 96 AD. That's 34 years that he is going to pastor on the island of Crete. He's going to pastor this area. And while he is there, we're going to read in a moment what he is to do while he is there. And what he's going to do is he's going to put things in order and he's going to appoint elders. Okay, he's going to appoint elders. So take your Bibles and you'll see that throughout the the, the island of Crete, he's going to have these elders stationed throughout. So take your Bibles and let's look at Titus verse 5, chapter 1. And this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. So again, think about Titus. He's pastoring the churches. What's he first thing he's to do? To bring order, to bring structure. You can already hear in that a shepherding leader role. Somebody who's bringing order to the structure of the church. And while you're there, appoint elders. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So there's a role here to play. You have a role to play, Titus, that is different but yet complementary to the elder role. Now take your Bibles and turn back a book or two to 1 Timothy. And we're going to write about where Paul's addressing Timothy, Pastor Timothy at Ephesus. And notice what he does to him. He says, I urge you. He calls him as the leader to do this. When I was going to Macedonia, I wanted you to remain in Ephesus. What do you want you to do in Ephesus? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So now you see him stepping up to the places. The first thing I want you to do, told Titus to do two things. First thing I want you to do, Timothy, is I want you to make sure the church is in line doctrinally. What we teach, what we believe, what we call truth is incredibly important in the church, okay? In this world of post-truth. And he goes on, he says, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies to promote speculations rather than stewardship uh, from, the fa- from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Basically, 
Paul tells, tells Timothy, I need you to pastor Ephesus. And there's a lot of confusion out there. There's a lot of bad teaching. There's a lot of bad beliefs out there. And I need you to keep the church on track. Don't let the church get off. Keep them on track and keep the love flowing from within the church. So I want to ask the question that maybe you might be asking. If not, I'm going to hopefully put the question in your mind. Why do we need pastors? What's the big deal about pastors? There's three questions I've asked all throughout this, this three little mini part looking at the three-legged stool. Is I've, talked about the, I've talked about the why. I've talked about the who. Why is always start with the why. Why and the who, who can be. And then, and then we'll talk about finally the what. So let's talk about, let's talk about the why. why. Why do we need pastors? Now, let me just say this. This is not, because I'm a pastor, this is not a message on self-preservation. All right? There's other things I could do, all right? This is a calling. Why do we need pastors? Why do we even need them out there? I'll say this, even pastors need pastors. Can I say it to you again? Even pastors need pastors. I look to certain individuals and I lean in and I listen because I need shepherding as well. I am one person who puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like everyone else. And I need, I need shepherding. I need truth-telling. I need these things that, that, that pastors will go. So why is it that we need them? What's the value add to your life? Hopefully you can say that of me. Hopefully you can say that of the 14 full and part-time pastors that we have, that these pastors of Grace Point do this very thing. One is everyone needs a trusted shepherd through the craziness of life. Through the craziness of life, you need someone in your life that you can trust that will shepherd you help steer and guide and point you in, in a way that is truth and rightful. In fact, if you look at the, the life and the ministry of Jesus, one of the times that he is disturbed at the very core of who he was, was a time when he looked down on the people and they didn't have a pastor. They didn't have a shepherd. It says in Mark chapter 9, verse 36, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word shepherd there, remember this, is the Greek word poine, which is where we get 17 other times in the New Testament is the word poine going to show up. And you're going to see it. And I'm going to point them out to you as, as we go along here. But I want you to see when there is no poine, whenever there is no shepherd, we become, uh, can become misguided. We, we can become lost. I'm not saying we're, 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 that, that you look to the, the pastor as the pope. Not at all. But hopefully, hopefully, whether I'm up here on stage or somebody else is up here on stage, hopefully what you get from a Sunday over Sunday is truth that challenges, that comforts. One pastor, one of the pastors I listened to when I was growing up, he says the job of the pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. And sometimes I have to do both. But hopefully it's always from a spirit of shepherding, guiding, mentoring, coaching, counseling. The pastor isn't a job we hold. It's a calling we receive. And we walk in it. And we honor it. And we don't just take it lightly. It's not a nine to five punch in, punch out. If you look at the life of Jesus, he is the ultimate shepherd. When in John... 
He talks about himself being the shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He says, the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Lays it down, but a hireling flees. Listen, you don't want a shepherd who will run when it gets tough. You want a shepherd who will be there through the tough times, the difficult seasons of your life and my life and our life that we go through. Is it trusted? I'll have to say this, and I have to apologize yet again. I hate to hate this. Because there has been some who have stepped into the role of the pastor and have abused it, have manipulated it, have used it as a tool to gain influence and power in an unhealthy manner. And it's been covered up. What should have been a formative role has become a performative role. We've gone from shepherding to celebrity pastors. And maybe you even heard that phrase, but that's a phrase that's out there. No longer is it formative, it's now performative. No longer are role models. We're now about building platforms. Guys, we're, that's not what the pastor is about. And I'm not a perfect pastor. I am far from it. But by God, mercy and grace, may I never take this role or any of our 14 pastors take their role and use it in an abusive kind of way. And listen, I'll tell you what, God doesn't tolerate it either. Jeremiah 23, verse one to two, it says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. You have scattered my flock, have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. That's not the kind of pasture you want. Behold, I will attend to you. (laughs) I'm gonna take you to the woodshed. I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. The Lord has zero tolerance for that kind of shepherding. Everyone needs a trusted shepherd, but I will also say this in the crazy world that we live in. Everyone needs a truth teller. Have you noticed we live in a post-truth world? Have you noticed that everybody has their truth, their narratives that they tell, their narratives that they live, the, the, par- the parties and the politics and the, the divisive and the polarization? It is mind-numbing to try to find the truth and to point people to the truth because people get turned off by the truth. But listen, there has never been a day that God has not had truth tellers in this world. And one of the roles of a pastor, of a shepherd leader is a truth teller, must be a truth teller based on this truth. Not Fox News, not CNN, not my own persuasions. It must be upon the truth of God. Moses was there to lead the people of Israel in its darkest hours. He had elders around him, yes, but he was the shepherding of the people, steering them out and toward the promised land. Fourteen different judges God put on this earth when Israel was in and out of its apathy and sin and brokenness and doing whatever they pleased in their own eyes. God put men and women, men and women judges to speak truth. Nathan was a truth teller to David when he committed his adulterous and murderous acts with Bathsheba and her husband. Jeremiah was a truth teller to Jerusalem. Daniel was a truth teller to Nebuchadnezzar. Malachi was a truth teller to Israel. John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness. Always a truth teller. God always puts truth to Peter was a truth teller on the day of Pentecost. 
into the church of Jerusalem. Titus was at Crete and Timothy was at Ephesus. And John, John the apostle writes seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation. And each one of those seven letters to the seven churches had a specific message from Jesus. You read those first chapters of Revelation. You'll notice this common theme. To the angel of the church in Sardis. That's one of the seven letters. Each of the seven letters starts with that phrase. The angel is not some guardian angel like we have our own guardian angel here. No, actually the angel means messenger. So to the message giver at the church of Sardis, to the pastor of the church of Sardis, here's the message from God to you. I believe today that God has a message for Grace Point Church. God has a message for you. What is it? And what is your next step of obedience to follow that out, to live that out? A trusted, trusted shepherd, a a truth teller. Why do we need shepherds? Why do we need pastors? We need them for that very reason. Hebrews chapter 13, verse seven says this, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God shepherding us. Consider the outcome of their way. So look at their, listen to their words, but look at their life and imitate their faith. So again, a trusted pastor leader is somebody that you're going to hopefully hear the word of God, but also right behind hearing the word of God, you're going to see their life lining up and there's going to be alignment. There's not going to be audio and video misaligned. It's all going to line up. Listen, I want to call our church together because of one of the pastors in our church, Ann Lorenz. She came to me and she said, hey, we're, this church is going into this elder governance kind of look at consideration and, 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 and big change in, in our church. We need to pray. I said, Ann, that's a great idea. Again, a pastor sees these things, she brings this idea to me. Well, I want to invite you for the next 40 days. Because it'll be about that amount of time. For the next 40 days, would you enter into praying for Grace Point? If you really love your church, would you please take next 40 days and pray for Grace Point? And what you can do is text in GPC Pray to 9700. That will sign you up. And starting tomorrow morning, in the morning, you're going to start getting one verse and a little prayer. One verse and a little prayer. And that will be your prompting to pray for your church in the different areas of your church as we move in this direction. I thank Ann for that, as being a pastor in our church. So the why, hopefully you understand that we all need a shepherd in our life. We all need truth tellers in our life. Number two question is who? Who is the pastor? Who? Well, if you look in, in, in Timothy again, you find the listings out of the qualities of an elder. The elder qualities are the qualities that you should see in your pastor, the character qualities that are out there. Now, two questions, and again, we've talked about a little bit of this, and it's, listen, it's in the news as late as this past week, and again, I don't know, most of you don't pay attention to church news, but it's in the big news this past week, just about the role of women in the church. We have a statement online, if you text GPC elders to 9700, you can find that, 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 that information out there on what we believe about women in the ministry, but along those lines, I want to answer two questions. Two questions. One is, can pastors be elders? And the answer to that is yes. 
Whenever you look at Peter's life, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So whenever you look at elders, and we'll talk about those again as we continue to move in that direction, as you all for the past two weeks have been giving recommendations to that role. As we look at them, a pastor can be an elder. But here's a second question. Do all pastors have to be elders? And the answer to that is no. They should live up to that standard of being an elder. But when you look at the life of Titus, he's recognized as a leader of the church, but he's never identified as an elder in the church. So again, I think he was a pastor, but maybe or maybe not an elder because of all the different churches or congregations that were about. Now, let me just say this. Our church, there's not a church in North America that matches a New Testament church. Because the New Testament church, there was not a plurality of, pa- of pastors. There was no multi-staff church. When I say 14 full and part-time pastors, that was unheard of in the New Testament. So there's no way we can say, oh, well, we're just like the New Testament. No, we're not. But not, neither are we doing anything unbiblical. We are literally trying to minister to the family, shepherd and mentor and guide the families forward. Because here's for example, if I'm the lead pastor, I cannot do it all. You don't want me doing what Taylor does. I promise you. I had one class in seminary on church music. I led one Sunday, the third Sunday that Grace Point existed, and I have never led worship since then and never hope to. Taylor puts time and energy and skill set and passion into that. He pastors you in that space. He pastors the team. And that's true of all of our pastors. Listen, what Sarah Coffey does in accessibility, oh my goodness, every time I go in that, in her classes, and see her skills and her patience and her giftedness, it just warms my heart. But then I got to get out of there because that is not my space. That's her space. And she's killing it with some of you who are volunteers in there. Thank you. That's the, that's the blessing of the pastors. So as you look at our processes and that, that we go through, here's one thing that, that we cannot get away from. So character matters most. Character matters more than anything else. Whenever you're talking about pastors and you're talking about elders, we, we, let me talk about this for a moment. Because you need to understand what we've done. Since September, five pastors, five deacons have come together. One of the deacons added it up for 500 man hours. And we have studied the scripture first off. We spent a number of months studying the scripture, asking lots of questions, like 40 different questions, asking questions, trying to answer it from a biblical. We agreed, we disagreed, we challenged one another. We went through an entire process that led us into the first of the year. The first of the year, we started focusing on churches. We started focusing on five particular churches from Texas to Arkansas to Missouri. We were looking at churches all over that had healthy elder relationships, healthy elder model churches. And, and we studied them. And again, we pulled back the layers. We looked for the common ground. I'm saying all this to say this. All of those churches, all five of those churches, there was not one singular identical elder model churches. There's a lot of liberty. There's a lot of liberty in how you structure your elder governing body church. But what is not 
Every one of the churches would point to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1 as the character qualities. We cannot get away from the character markers. That is absolutely a must. And again, I send you to our website. What we've done on there is we've got sources on there that you can look at. We want to we look at elders from an interior life. How are they doing inside in their walk with God? How are they doing exterior? How do people around them see them? How do those close to them see them? Within the church, how do they function in the body of the church and within their family? How healthy is their family? How much is their family aligned with them? And we have a, 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 on that same page, if you've got questions that you want to send in, we are going to answer every single question that you send in. It's all there. There's a form on there and you can do that. All this about the pastors and the elders and so forth, where are we going? I want to come back to anybody in this room or beyond this room that would think about being a pastor. You need to read the warning label first. There's a warning out there. James chapter three, verse one says that we are judged with a greater judgment, with a more strict judgment. Hebrews chapter 13, verse seven, we read that a few moments ago when we were talking about the leaders and, and those who spoke the truth of God and consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Well, that's verse seven. If you go down a few more verses to verse 17, he gives us a little stark warning. Obey your leaders that's, and submit to, you, to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. That's the shepherding element. As those who have to give an account. There's a day of accountability that I will go through. Our pastors will go through. That you, a level of accountability that you won't go through. So we must hold this office, this role in, in very sacredness about it. And I'll say it to you the way Adrian Rogers said it to me growing up and in I heard him preach it so many times. If your pastor's a man of God, follow him. If he's not, fire him. So I'm putting myself out there. If I'm a man of God, follow me. If not, fire me. I thank God that I've had in my life godly pastors. I've not had the abusive pastor situation. I've had godly pastors throughout my life. One of them's in this room, Tim Logan, who was with me when I was 18 years old helping me discern calling and ministry and relationships and, and, and so many even doctrinal things discipled me and informally and formally and how we were able, and to this day, we're still in each other's lives. So I thank God for pastors that I've had. Let's talk about the what. What do pastors do? What do pastors do? Real quickly, here we go. Whenever you look at this, again, this is not an easy, quick in, dial up kind of job. When you look at Paul's life, he said, I, wait, I wept over you. I had tears. I had trials. I was serving with you. I was living among you. All those things are, are part of, of the role of a pastor. There's three primary tasks of a pastor. One is feeding. There's a feeding element that needs to be in there. Whenever you look at Acts chapter 6 and you find the apostles... Caught in a situation where ministry wasn't being done. There weren't deacons. It was falling on the shoulders of the apostles or at that time, the pastors. Now, let me just say this because for part of the imbalance is there's been too much weight put on our pastors. Too much there on one leg. And what we can't do is we cannot rob the pastors from the opportunity of devoting ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. It's an important part of the process. Pastor Peter, if you will, whenever he was a pastor, 
What do you find there? When God told him, when Jesus is redeeming him from his brokenness, he says, I need you to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's one of the most important roles of a pastor. Number, th- number two is lead. There's a leading element. Hey, we got to make sure we're going in the right direction. Pastors must lead, as Alan Roxburgh said. Pastors must lead their congregations as witnesses of the gospel in lands where old maps no longer work. We I'm 32 years in full-time vocational ministry. These past two years have been the most difficult years of my pastorate. Most difficult. And I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm not looking for, oh, poor Mike. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, leading in this season and leading well has not been easy for any pastor that I know. But we have to shepherd the flock of God, as 1 Peter says. Shepherding that, as that point again, we got to shepherd the flock of God and be examples, not just with our words, but with our mouth. The third and final thing a pastor is to do is to lead, to feed, but it's also to equip. To equip you for the work of the ministry. Yes, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 11, it talks about that he gave, he being God, he gave the church, he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, he gave the evangelists, he gave the shepherds, point A, and teachers, that's one office. He gave the pastors and teachers. What did he give the pastors and teachers for? To handle all the ministries of the church, to make everybody warm, happy, and fed. No, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What we are called to do is to help you do what you are called to do. And if we do what you're called to do, you're not doing what you're called to do and we're missing it. We are being a derelict as a pastor. You are called, you are gifted. What we need to do as pastors is to equip you to do what you are called to do inside the body in the ministry of the church and for building up of the body of Christ. And you go on and read the passage because it talks about not being tossed to and fro because there's a spiritual maturity that that we need to help you become self-feeders in the truth, in the word, discipling up others so you can be discipling yourself so you can be discipling others. I want to close by just a present dose of reality. On Friday of this past week, I had a, a, a first-time conversation with a pastor I've never met before, but he got, we got connected through a, another person in another state of a pastor in Arkansas who is walking away from the ministry and moving in to, uh, to sell real estate. And basically, the conversation goes like this. I'm losing my wife. I'm losing my faith. This is a pastor. I, am, I have got to quit the ministry, because I'm going to lose my wife. I'm burned out. And in the conversation, I said, bro, listen, if it comes down to managing your ministry or saving your marriage, leave the ministry, save your marriage. Because you can, you can't do ministry as a pastor if your family's not with you. You can't, they go together. This pastor, it's like, I'm done. And he's literally moving to this area and is needing pastoring himself. And it reminded me because on the same day, Friday, this all happened on Friday, had this conversation 
And then I learned of this statistic. 40% of pastors right now, according to Barna, 40% of pastors are considering walking away from the ministry. 40%. You think, okay, everybody's wanting to walk away from their job at some point. It's a great resignation, right? But what does that look like overall? Just four months ago, 38% in the same study group were considering walking away. Just six months ago, at the end of the year, it was 29% were walking away. We're not trending in the right direction here. That's 11 percentage points in the matter of six months of pastors saying, I've had enough. I'd rather do something else than do this. And I'll have to say that in the past two years, that's been a part of my contemplation. I'm not... I'm not not saying this for empathy or for sympathy. I'm just, I'm bringing up an awareness that as pastors, we have a role to play. We want to own our role. We want to be in our role. We want to, we want to shepherd and we want to, we want to do what, what God's called us and equipped us to do. Man, we cannot do it alone. We need your help. We need to do this together as a body of Christ. Here are our pastors. Here are your pastors. And I just want you to find Two faces up there. One that maybe you know, maybe one that you don't know. Or maybe two that you don't know. And I want you to zero in on them. And I want you to think about this next week. How can I pray for them? Encourage them? Speak love and truth into their life? Because they are here for you. Okay? And when I think about that, I I have to end by us reading... I have to end with us reading together 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Would you read this out loud with me? We ask you to acknowledge those who work diligently among you, who preside over you in the Lord and give you instruction to love. Hold them in highest regard because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Listen, I know all 14 of our pastors. And I will say this, they love their calling. They love seeing life change. We celebrate life change all the time. We had opportunity to pray this week over two people in our church that were struggling with cancer or other illnesses. We love pastoring. Let's do this together. Let's do this as a healthy church. But I'll tell you what, you cannot pastor unless you're being pastored. And the only reason I or any of our other 14 other pastors can pastor is because we have a relationship with the ultimate pastor, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And I challenge you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you can call him literally your pastor, your shepherd, your guide, your coach, your mentor through life as just one of the qualities of Jesus, the number one thing you need to do today is say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I don't understand a lot of things, but I want you to steer my life. Father God, I bow before you right now. And Lord, we need you to shepherd us, guide us, pastor us through the complexities of this world. Father, I thank you for putting incredible pastors in my life 
starting with Johnny Lawson as a child. And even pastors to this day that I lean on for wisdom and counsel. Father, I would pray that we would all lean on you as our ultimate pastor. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.